she's to win porn again. Welcome back to After Adult. I'm Rachel. I'm Adrian. Um, you also might know me as Siri, which is my porn name. Hello. Siri Doll. Siri Doll. Yeah. <laughs> Get your own porn name correct. But, but Rachel knows me as Adrian, so I go by Adrian on the podcast. And today we have a very special guest, Erica Smith. She's a sex educator. If you follow, follow me, the real Siri.ps on Instagram, then you probably would have seen Erica's stuff because I repost uh, Erica's stuff all the time. Hi, Erica. Um, Hi. You can introduce yourself and then just let us know where we can find you online. Okay. Um, so my name is Erica Smith. I am a sex educator. I have been doing this work for a really long time, and I am on Instagram. My handle is ericasmith.sex.ed, and Erica spelled with a C. Perfect. Awesome. I'm so fucking excited that you are here today. Because I'm so excited you. that you're here. <laughs> So I'm really excited because, like, you know, Adrian told me, oh, I really want to get the sex educator. And I was like, yes, sex educator. <laughs> I, like, for a really long time when I was in high school, I was really fixated on, like, I wanted to become, like, a sex therapist and, like, sex educator. Um, that didn't, that did not happen. But. <laughs> um, it could still. It could still. That's true. There's nothing stopping me except crippling student debt mm. from going back to school. Yeah. <laughs> Just that little thing. Just but how does one become a sex educator? There are so many different ways to become a sex educator. Like, um, I was just, I told Adrian I'd listened to your STI stigma episode this morning, yeah. and you both at one point were like, we're not sex educators yet, and I'm thinking, like, but Adrian, like, you have information and knowledge about sex and sexuality that I don't have because of your work. And Good point. <laughs> like, there's, there's not one path to being a sex educator. Like, you know how some... Um, some professions, there's a very clear, like, you get the specific degree, then you get the specific certification, or you take a test, or you do a residency, or something like that. But sex ed is... It's kind of a all, like, anything goes field. Mm -hmm. Um, which can mean like literally anyone could just say, Hey, I'm a sex educator. And that's, you can just say that, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's not like one governing body that makes sure all of us are doing what we're supposed to be doing. There's really like different paths to getting in the work. So kind of like porn in that regard. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and you know, there are, there is one, um, sex educator certifying body that's real popular, but I don't have their certification. It's mm. super expensive. And I got my education, um, by getting a master's degree in human sexuality. Mm. Um, but you can really come into the field in a lot of different ways. Like some people start because they were teaching or working at a sex toy shop and learned a lot there and doing demonstrations with customers. That's sex education. My background, I worked first in, like, public health. So I worked in an abortion clinic and in a, for a children's hospital in their um, adolescent sexual medicine department. So my background is very much like public health sex ed, but other people's is like, yeah, I, I, um, I teach kink workshops. So it's all sex ed. It's just 
it looks very different depending on who you are. So, so you teach kink workshops. What are some other things that you do just for people who might not? Oh, I don't teach kink workshops personally. Okay. Oh, I thought you said you. Sorry. No, I'm like you could. Like you two could. (laughs) Oh, I could. I I could not because I. If you listen to our kink episode, I'm the most vanilla. <laughs> Rachel's I'm kink workshop vanilla. would be like, don't touch my feet. Please don't touch my feet. Like, <laughs> maybe you can do it from behind sometime. It's <laughs> true. Um, okay, so I, I feel like I do a lot of different things. Um, my So I worked specifically for 17 years doing sex ed and HIV prevention with kids in juvenile detention. So in the Philadelphia Juvenile Justice Center, I would go in there and I would work with the kids and kind of be their personal one-on-one sex educator. And we talked about everything from um, their physical health to like the trauma they'd experienced, um, what was going on with their cases. A lot of the kids were doing sex work, um, or were like young people that had uh, just a lot of issues that could result in unwanted sexual health outcomes. So that was like the basis of my work for a really long time. Now I do like private sessions with pretty much anyone who um, finds me on Instagram and inquires. So Mm -hmm. I do one-on-one sex ed. I run a program for people that were raised in like extreme evangelical religions, um, otherwise known as purity culture. I do trainings and I speak at universities. Um, I also still have a job where I like um, run support groups for transgender youth and their families. So kind of all over the place. Awesome. I, I love, well, this is totally, this is off topic, but on topic for what you do for your transgender youth and families for trans men or trans boys, which the binder that you hear recommended most? Oh, I mean, that's a really good question. There's so many different kinds now, but I think the one that's called like, there's a number two in the name of it. Oh, G- G2CB G2CB. or something. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> that's my, uh, my stepbrother is trans and his birthday is this Friday. He's also a Virgo. And, oh, cute. and so we got him his first binders and we actually got it from there. Uh, so that's the sweetest. <laughs> oh my God. That's so affirming. Yeah. I mean, his, I mean, just that, like, you know, his family was already super affirming. He was, like, that three-year-old kid who was, like, I'm a boy. And they were, like, okay, let's let's roll. And he actually just started testosterone, um, like, two weeks ago now. So Oh, that's uh, a very so exciting time. Yes. Yay! <laughs> um, well, yeah. sounds like you, you got him the right binder. You did. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So, Erica, something that I was really glad that you already brought up, um, talking about kind of your specializations, I guess, in sex ed, is the purity culture, or, like, you have your purity... Sorry, I can't talk. Purity culture dropout um, program. And I'm, like, so fascinated by it, and I feel like a lot of the stuff that I've reposted that comes from your Instagram account is part of your your posts about the purity culture uh, stuff and purity culture dropout and like 
centering education around that for people who grew up in that. And one thing that I wanted to say that I find so interesting about it is that it's clearly very relevant information for someone who was not at all raised in purity culture like myself. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty much daily in my daily life steeped in the opposite of a purity culture, but I still battle the same stigma about sex Mm -hmm. and sexuality in my own mind, like on a, at at least weekly, if not daily basis. Like, you know, I have those thoughts that are just deep seated in there and it's like, um, they come from all kinds of places. I consider purity culture something that exists on a spectrum. Like there is the extremes that I think come to mind, like, and most of the clients that I get are from the extremes. So that is people that were raised in an evangelical church where they were given a purity ring or they signed a purity pledge. They may have even gone to a purity ball and they were explicitly told over and over as young people that their virginity was the most important thing, that all sexual desire was dangerous. Um, There's also this very binary thinking that of course there's only girls and boys and only straight people and that girls are responsible for everyone else's sexual sin. So like if you wear a spaghetti strap or someone sees your bra, you are you are causing young men to think lustful thoughts and therefore it's your fault. Oh, that so, just sounds just like the Texas high school I went to. So yeah, I knew yeah, which you was a public grew up school. in Texas. You mentioned something about Texas in the episode I just listened to. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you said Texas today. I don't know. <laughs> I, no, I think I mentioned okay. it in the episode, yeah. So so that is one that is like the extreme of purity culture, but I think that America in general is just steeped in it. Um, we are you know, this America, this land as we know it, was colonized by white Europeans that had extremely puritanical views around sex and sexuality. And they brought those binary views about gender and extreme views about like sexual propriety, especially where women were concerned with them. And that has been part of the fabric of this country ever since. So even if you were not raised in a church at all, which I wasn't like purity culture is not my background. I didn't go to church growing up at all. Um, but that there's ways that we still get those messages from society around us. Um, very clear ways. So especially in Texas, I don't know if your high school even had sex ed, but it probably was very abstinence only based. If it did, we, we didn't have, I think maybe there was no. So what I remember is a ninth grade, health education class that had a uh, part of the curriculum, maybe like one week of the curriculum was sex ed, but it was also taught by a coach who was very well known the year, I think I told the story on the podcast, sorry, but like the year after I left his class, it was like, uh, because my friend had a sister who was a year younger than me, and I remember her being in the same guy's class, so she's taught by the same coach, and uh the extent of what he taught that class about um, STIs was essentially making an incredibly homophobic joke about HIV and AIDS, and Mm -hmm. that was, like, it. He, like, didn't teach them anything. He basically made a homophobic joke, and that was it. That was the way it happened in my high school. So that was the sex at my high school. (laughs) Yeah. I went to high school in rural Pennsylvania, which in some regards is very similar to parts of Texas. Just, you know, it's a very red part of the state. The boonies... It's the boonies, or yeah. The boonies. yeah. The boonies, <laughs> no matter the boonies. where you are, <laughs> right? Um, and we had the same, like a the girls' gym coach or the girls' gym teacher taught us for like a week. The boys' gym teacher taught them for a week, 
they separate you out, yeah. and the boy's gym teacher made a super homophobic joke about if gays wanted to be in the military, they should all be on the front lines. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah. That that was my gym, uh, my gym experience. Fuck I that feel, old guy. whenever I hear people talk about, like, their sex ed or, like, their health education in high school, I feel really lucky. Not because mine was, like, any better, but I transferred schools mid-year, and so I had taken, in our county, it's like you take PE for one semester, and then you take health and sex ed for the next one, and... And my old high school, it was all, like, it didn't matter what gender you were. You were in the same class. But then at my new high school, it was split up. Um, and there wasn't enough room in girls' health. <laughs> so <laughs> I couldn't. So I just had to take it online. And I took advanced PE <laughs> for, oh during what would have been my health um, segment. But because of that, I was just reading from a textbook. And even though most there are some textbooks that do definitely have abstinence only as their thing. This was actually a, I mean, I guess decent textbook in that they did admit that teenagers might have sex mm. at some point in their lives. So <laughs> like, is this is what birth control. This is what birth control does. This is how you use a condom. Like, yeah. So um, I mean, the layers of purity culture are so fucking deep. Um, I was just reading. Um, my husband found this grant application that would like give a whole thousands and thousands of dollars to a sexual health program. And we were reading the fine print. And at the very end, it was like, must not normalize sex among teenagers. And I'm like, literally, how do you expect to have any kind of effective sexual health education program that doesn't normalize sex among teenagers? Like, there's science behind this. I know nobody in America right now gives any shits about science, but there is science behind Savage this. Like, there have been studies that show that abstinence-only education is really ineffective, and our government keeps throwing millions of dollars at it, even though it's 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 proven to not work. Um, so yeah, there was there was a big evangelical push in like the. 90s and early 2000s that all of us learn abstinence-only education. So even if you were not in a church, you probably were in a high school that was influenced by that kind of yeah. legislation. Do you think this is maybe a show, but like I have, like I said, my step-siblings are both in high school now. And like originally the schools were kicking around maybe being in class, but obviously, you know, maybe only half or like every other week or whatever. So that it was less people. But do you think purity culture, like, sort of plays into the idea that teenagers will be totally fine just not touching each other and just, like, having to, like, staying six feet away from each other? Like, they I can do that. I never thought of that. Well, because, like, I remember when I was hmm. in, like, that is an high school, question. it was, like, we would, like, hang all over each other. It didn't matter if you were dating or not. Like, you yeah. would be, like, hugging yeah. and, like, holding hands, and it didn't matter. It was just, like, a sign of affection Well, I friendship. Have, um, some of the clients I have told me that they were, they were not allowed to, like, touch the opposite gender. So, of course, in this scenario, it's just boys and girls, um... But they'll, they make jokes about Christian side hugs. Like, you're only allowed to hug each other here because, God forbid, you touch your front oh part God. on the front part of another. 
Yeah. Oh, goodness. But they were, like, forbidden to sit really close to the boys or to touch the boys' hands. And it's... We have a human need called skin hunger. It is a Mm -hmm. natural human, like, requirement that we have connectivity and closeness with other people. It's why babies need to be held when they're little or they will, like, miss important developmental milestones. Like, we need human touch. Or cats. Or cats. Yeah. (laughs) So, um... What you just said about, like, we were all over each other as teenagers, that's because it's fucking normal. Like, we want to touch our friends. Mm -hmm. So the belief that teenagers are just not going to touch their friends either because of sexual purity or because of COVID, I think that's really um, not going to be easy for most teenagers. Yeah, I I mean, they're already back. School started, like, last week, and they're already back to just full-on NTI um, like they're not going back, they're not going to classrooms at all. So that just happened. Wow. Um, Temple University here in Philly just announced today that after what, like two days of classes, they are now going fully online because there's a COVID outbreak already. And yeah. it's the same, like young yeah. people, predominantly people ages 18 to 24, they want to touch each other. Like it's just really, really hard to expect anyone especially young people not to touch yeah especially when you know at that age like your brain is just like goo like it's Mm -hmm. still forming it is still forming (laughs) so that rational part of your brain is just not able to be like you could get covid yeah exactly i just have images in my mind of the all the spring break Florida partier oh, I know. people and that I've been paranoid about people who are like and anything that like is getting close to teenager territory like when I go to my gym because my gym has reopened like since two months ago or something I you know it's usually the people who are like under 25 that I don't mm. see wearing masks mm-hmm. at all and they're not practicing any form of social distancing and I'm just kind of like I'm just going to try to set my stuff up as far from you as possible. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so ugh. I mean it, it it's like what was the saying? Um I'm sure it comes from purity culture, but like leave room for Jesus. Oh yeah. Uh it's like leave room for COVID. <laughs> That's totally true. Someone needs to start a campaign. Leave room for COVID. You and heard I mean it here, folks. One the of the leave most, room for COVID campaign. One of the most ironic parts of this entire discussion is that the extreme right wing Christians are the ones who are like, Jesus will just take care of us. This is a hoax. Like I mean, it's just yeah. so ridiculous. Yeah, it's frustrating as hell. <laughs> uh, well, and also even going back to what you just joked about a second ago about, like, no one in America gives a fuck about science. Mm-hmm. I've, I've found that there are people who aren't even on that, like, right-wing Christian conservative juice, but it's, it's like, a different, like, um, like conspiracy theory woo woo like disbelief in covid so it's coming from a totally different direction but essentially it produces the same exact result yes. which is like a distrust of medical information totally or science yeah that's like, like can the, we stop? the essential oils anti-vax type yeah yeah, yeah exactly mm-hmm. <laughs> just a just a recommendation there's a podcast it's called the dream season one was about multi-level marketing and season two was about like wellness and wellness culture and they do get like into anti-vaxxing and alternative healing methods, 
Um, mm. And like the last episode came out in February of this year. And I was like, oh my God, if I had listened to this at the beginning of the pandemic, I think I would have lost my mind. I would have been like, wow, there's no hope. Mm. I mean, it feels that way now, but like I really settled into the feeling. It's just like this, I'm just here, I'm bathing it. I'm fortified with the feeling that there's no hope. (laughs) (laughs) Fortified hopelessness. It might be our episode episode title. Actually, that's a terrible episode title. No, no, never mind. Really bad. I think "Leave Room for COVID" is a good episode. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. COVID. (laughs) Oh my god, Rachel, what you just said reminds me. um, There, like. I haven't seen, I've only watched one episode so far, but there's a very similar Netflix uh, documentary series. Oh, I'm watching that right now. Is it called Unwell? I was trying to remember what it was called. I think it's called Unwell. And each episode is about a different, like, fringy wellness practice. Yeah. I I don't remember which one I watched. I think I watched... The first one was Oils, maybe? or I think that is the one I watched. I watched, like, the first or second or something. Yeah. And I found that super interesting and... doTERRA. Hmm. Well, there's so much overlap with all that stuff, because a lot of the MLM things are also, like, new agey wellness things. Or just, in general, like, so, like, Amway is, like, you know, get your vitamins, your dietary supplements, and you'll be healthy and beautiful forever. They talk about that, too. I had someone, when I worked at my old job in retail, like, years ago... I had this woman who came that I helped with a sale at my retail job who then was like, started asking me all these extremely personal questions and I felt so duped. She like made, she basically said that she had a great job for me. Like her family runs a company. Oh, I remember this. You remember this? And she convinced me to meet her for coffee, like on my own time, which I was not supposed to do because I had to give her my personal phone number, like when I was at work, which is very much against policy, they were like, don't do this. And I know why the company was like, don't do this because people will be shady. And essentially she, I went and had coffee with this woman and she was very awkward. I was like uncomfortable the whole time and it took forever. And it was like an hour long and I was just chomping in the bit to get out of there. And finally she pitched me Amway at the end of it. And I was like, I'm leaving. (laughs) But like when a meeting could have been an email. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was so irritating. So that's all I knew. And that was the first time I ever heard of it. Also, I was like, what is this? Co- I've never heard of this company in my life. Like, you guys are bullshit. Ugh. Yeah. But yeah. How has so, your <laughs> practice like changed because of COVID? Like you were doing one on one sessions about purity culture and like your purity culture dropout. Yeah. Classes before and sessions. But, you know, you can't. It's a lot harder to do, like, in-person work, and mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you're still working with anyone who's in juvenile detention centers or stuff like that, or if you've kind of moved on from that as part of your, but, like, it's, I imagine it's definitely harder well, working with that population. I I don't work any longer with youth in detention. That was, like, mm-hmm. what I did before I set out on my own to, like, yeah. be a self-employed sex educator. Um, COVID didn't change what I do too terribly much because I, I have like my Instagram presence, which is kind Mm -hmm. of the center of my business. And that's where I get my clients from and we meet via zoom. So I was zooming before, before COVID. (laughs) Um, and I had clients all over the place, like all over the country and in some cases in other countries, the thing that has changed is, um, 
sometimes I do like speaking engagements at universities and mm -hmm. everything is virtual now. So I still mm -hmm. have that work, but it's via Zoom. So that's different. Um, and all of the support groups for trans youth are also happening virtually rather than in person. So, yeah, I was worried. Um, I honestly thought when the pandemic first hit that business would be bad because if nobody had money or people were struggling with employment, I, I think of my work as like kind of a luxury in some ways. Like, are you going to pay a sex educator to help you if you're more worried about like, I don't have rent money? But what I discovered yeah. is that people are at home sitting around doing nothing but thinking, and they're in a lot of cases with their partners, like in isolation, and it's gotten more people to reach out to me. Like I, I have not suffered at all in terms of audience or having business. I think it's actually been really, really good, and that surprised me, honestly. But it's That's awesome actually, that they're yeah reaching out to you. Yeah. That's instead of just spinning out. Yeah. I'm I'm a little surprised to hear that too cuz you don't think of any type of therapy as being like for example what I do sex work and porn in general is considered recession proof like mm -hmm. people just cuz times are hard people generally don't stop watching porn. Yeah. Now they might stop paying for porn as much but like <laughs> in my experience my my uh direct like my content sales and stuff haven't slowed down at all because of quarantine. Um but that's that's really cool cuz that's that's great. It's like, it makes me happy to hear that because yeah. it means that people are, uh, you know, still able to think about that and mm -hmm. like take care of themselves in that regard and you know yeah. seeking out. I think people education. are also on Instagram more because we're not yeah. going out, so people are on social media more, which puts my content in front of them more. And yeah, I've I've tried to pivot a little. Um, Rather than, like, the Purity Culture Dropout program is working with me for six weeks, and it's got a pretty big price tag on it. Mm -hmm. So I have changed some of my offerings to be, like, I wrote a book for you that's only $30. And then, so I feel like a lot of people can afford $30, but maybe not many people can afford, like, several grand. So yeah, I made, it, made some changes there, too. That's cool. I So I've got a question for you regarding, like, just doing... Um, your general counseling and mm -hmm. education and stuff. Cause I imagine as I guess I could say like in a way I'm a sex educator, like people ask me questions that are sex ed related all yeah, the time. I bet. Um, but I obviously don't have, it's not my job. Like I don't, I don't sell that as a service. So I don't know the extent of like how that counseling really looks in detail, but like, do you find what, What's the Venn diagram of, like, relationship and sex ed counseling? And, like, how much are you doing a version of both when you talk to your clients? Because I'm super curious how that looks. It's, you know, very, very rarely just some kind of specific sex question. Like, most of it has to do with people's relationships to themselves or relationships to other people. Um, and I'm like, I'm not a therapist. I don't have a mental health degree, so I'm not a clinician and I don't market mm -hmm. myself as one. Um, I'm a sex educator, so I can, I have a, you know, a master in education. So I say that I do education and coaching, mm -hmm. which is true. Um, I don't even pretend I'm not, if people come to me sometimes and they're like, what's your therapy like? And I'm like, I don't do therapy. Um, <laughs> I think my work goes very well with therapy. So a lot of the clients I have 
you know, they'll talk to me about some of the sexual health issues they're dealing with. And there's definitely other shit that needs to be dealt with, like trauma, for example, or like deep, deep feelings of shame. And as much information and encouragement as I can give them, like there is also a therapeutic, there's, it's necessary for them to do some kind of therapy, I think. Um, So yes, I get asked, you know, every once in a while, like a specific sex question that is just a sex question, like what, what's the best kind of lube or something like that. Yeah. But for the most part, it's much bigger. It's like, you know, I was just diagnosed with an STI and I, I don't know much about it and it's got me feeling awful and I would really like to talk to you. So yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's relevant. <laughs> that's a relevant example. Cause that's literally been my life. <laughs> and I, I know I told you this, um, over email earlier, but when I listened to the episode about STI stigma, I was just like, I kept wanting to just like interject and be like, Oh, and this and this. Yeah. So you can interject now. Yeah, you can interject now. <laughs> I mean, as soon as I heard you say that you got diagnosed with trick, I just, like, out loud practically was like, oh, girl, everyone has trick. Like, <laughs> it's just so common. Like, and I know it's one of those ones that people don't talk about as much. Um, it's rarely ever, like, referenced when people discuss yeah, STIs. Exactly. Like, it's not, like, yeah, one of the it, larger, like, chlamydia, gonorrhea, people know what those are. They know enough to, like, make jokes about them, which is shitty. Um, yeah. But, yeah, trick is another extremely, extremely common infection. And your experience sounds similar to a lot of people's experiences. Like, they didn't even know they had it until they got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes away after you take some medicine one dose man yeah one dose of antibiotics and um you know i tell in my education and in any kind of sex ed i do when i'm talking about stis i always say that they are viruses and bacteria like so many other viruses and bacteria but the only reason we're fucking weird about them is that they can be transmitted sexually and our culture is weird about sex We have made all these moral judgments around sexual behavior, so we put those on these viruses and bacteria that are just scientific parts of being alive. Like, we all have bacteria all over our bodies right now, right? We're dealing with a global pandemic. Someone's fucking kid is getting a cold at daycare right as we speak. But in none of those situations do we act like it's a moral failing or that there's, like, something bad about a person if they, like, get the flu or if they get, you know... I don't know, meningitis or something. It's, but, I mean, it's your fault you got the flu. Why aren't you trying harder? Exactly. You know, what, you're not doing enough to protect yourself. You're such a flu slut. Why aren't you putting a condom, <laughs> why aren't you just putting a condom straight over your head yeah. to protect you from I mean, inhaling the flu germs? It's, it's so ridiculous when you really think about it that we have such stigma around sexually transmitted infections because it's just part of being human is coming into contact with viruses and bacteria. And while um, some people don't have an STI, there's a lot of, most people are sexually active, so they could. So that's another thing that acting like people who get STIs are somehow doing something really wrong. Like, I've had a lot of sex in my life. Like, I didn't do anything differently. Yeah. It's, it's, It's just weird how, it's shitty. It's a way to, like, keep people in their place, especially women. It's a way to act like 
you did something very wrong that would never happen to me. It's like how we try to make ourselves feel safe. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's a virus. It's a bacteria. It is just part of being human. We come into contact with those things. And I really wish there was less stigmatization around the whole issue. Ugh. Yeah, I hear you. And if- one of the things that I, like kind of had to be reminded of because of getting a positive result recently was like we it's it's safer sex for a reason right Mm -hmm. like in we don't use um barriers in porn generally speaking because we have our testing system but and and so that kind of and we talk i talked to rachel about this on that uh stigma sti stigma episode but like it kind of can feel a little bit like a false sense of security, you know, but it, I have to, I had to remind myself, I have to continue to now that it's safer because I'm getting tested regularly, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not having sex with people outside of the porn mm. performer pool that is tested yeah. or my partner in real life. But that doesn't mean that things can't happen. Like right. germs are everywhere. Like it really, yeah. So it's, you can't guarantee. <laughs> um, that's, are you, I feel like you probably are familiar with the concept of harm reduction in general. Yeah, yeah. So, like, harm reduction was sort of, it's it was developed by advocates for um, the safety of drug users. And the theory behind it is, like, you can't tell people to stop a behavior entirely and actually think they're going to adhere to that. So what we can do is reduce maybe the harmful impact of those behaviors. And we practice harm reduction in our regular lives all the time. Like, mm-hmm. if we put on sunscreen, it's harm reduction. If we put on a seatbelt, if we wear a mask to the grocery store. And, like, we can't... I could never guarantee that you weren't going to get COVID or you're not going to get skin cancer or whatever, but we still do behaviors to prevent those things. Mm-hmm. And with sexual health and STIs, harm reduction is the best like, the best method of protection. Like, there's no way to be 100% safe, again, unless you truly do not have sexual contact with other people. Yeah. But I don't advocate for that. If people choose that, that's totally fine. But mm-hmm. it's not a good, you know, it's not a good method of prevention to preach it, to preach abstinence. So it is safer sex. It's not entirely safe sex. We <laughs> we choose what our risks are, and we make decisions around those. And I honestly think that as someone in the industry, you probably get tested a bazillion times more than like your average, like people going out to bars and like having sex with their friends and with randos. Like you are so much more on top of your sexual health. I would feel so much safer having a, you know, random sexual encounter with someone in your industry than I would with like someone I met at a bar. Same. Yeah. (laughs) And that is how I feel about it. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think is like a good way to, I mean, I don't think it's as much of an issue right now because, I mean, I know if I was single, I wouldn't really want to date or like go home with somebody I didn't know. But what do you think is the best way to broach with someone that you, that you're entering this partnership and you both need to get tested? Um, I mean... I think that it is an important conversation and that it doesn't have to be done in person. That's one thing I tell my clients all the time because they're like, oh, it's so awkward. And I'm like, surely you two are texting each other constantly. (laughs) Like, it's something you, 
you can bring up, you don't have to have an in-person conversation about this, but just say like, hey, if we're going to stop using condoms with each other or if we're going to have sex without barriers, I just want you to know that my last test was two months ago at Planned Parenthood and I was negative for chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, and HIV. And give them the opportunity to, you know, say like, what about you? When was your last test? Um, there's nothing wrong with initiating that conversation. It is something that people raised in purity culture have a hard time with definitely because talking about sex can be difficult for them and it makes them feel like, is this person going to think I'm a slut if I'm bringing up sexual health? Um, but I think the best way to go about it is to just, just be really matter of fact about it and straight up about it. And chances are that your partner will appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. My ex-boyfriend's roommate, uh, <laughs> I, I had to give him kudos for this because I wasn't generally a fan of the guy. However, <laughs> he would go and get tested for, like, all of your garden variety STIs, like, every couple months or so. And he would keep a copy of his test results in his bedside drawer. That's <laughs> impressive. I don't know many yeah. men that, <laughs> that would and have done that. Yeah, and... Believe me, this guy was problematic in many regards. Like, he... I have complaints about the Women's March from 2016, but they're, like, different... They're, like, swerfy-turfy complaints. Yes! Um, uh, yeah, no, his his complaint was, like, why is this happening? Oh, Women God. have everything. So I was like, I'm not a fan of this person, but, like, at least you're on top of that. Like, yeah, Like, at least impressive. we know that you care enough about the sex partners you do have, the women left who will fuck you, mm -hmm. to, uh... <laughs> As long as he doesn't talk about the women's march, then there's probably exactly. like right, yeah, a few exactly. who will. I mean, sometimes a good hate fuck is okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've done a couple of those. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, so if someone gave you like a ten million, twenty million, I don't know, however unlimited money grant to basically go to, I don't know. Betsy DeVos, whoever is in charge of, <laughs> oh my god, of education in this country, <laughs> to be like, I am going to reform how we teach about sex in schools. What would be some of the things that you would propose? I don't know if it's uh, like too broad. Or... I mean, I can answer it. I yeah. would propose that it starts early. Um, a lot of times, parents get really like squeamish about their kids learning about sex because they think that they're not ready to learn about sex until they're like almost grown adults, which is absolutely not true. Um, there are recommendations for the kind of sexual health information or the kind of sexuality information you can provide young people at different ages. And it starts with like just teaching them about consent and bodily autonomy when they're little, like when they're preschool, toddler age. That lays a foundation for later lessons that will allow them to relate the concepts of consent and no, you can't just touch someone else's body. No, someone can't touch your body. You can then relate, relate those concepts to actual like sexuality and sexual health things when they're old enough to understand. So I would propose that it started very early, that it was age appropriate, that it was medically accurate that actual trained sex educators taught it and not just like a gym teacher or a coach or a health teacher. Um, I would propose that it included consent education and media literacy 
and was fully LGBT inclusive, um, that it addressed even like white supremacy and racial issues because that is related to sexuality and sexual health. Um, certain, you know, marginalized populations have poor sexual health outcomes or at a greater risk for um, violence due to their gender or sexuality. There's so much that I would say there. So, I mean, <laughs> it would be a dream to have a billion dollars to address sexual health disparities. And I would make sure that any young person who wanted it had access to birth control, access to condoms, Amen. access to STI testing, access to abortion. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Right now our in Louisville, our only emergency women's clinic um, or Planned Parenthood is trying to create like a buffer zone mm-hmm. um, with our Metro City Council and trying to actually get that approved because one of one of our friends is a clinic escort mm-hmm. and it's just amazing how purity culture is so like these these people mostly men are mostly men mostly white men they just like yell at these people and it's like Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you're just going there because like you need a crisis center next door like yes yeah the fake pregnancy crisis centers um there is oh i have i have a documentary recommendation i can't remember if it was on hulu or netflix but um So you probably know that the Supreme Court case that decided in favor of abortion rights was Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. And there is a woman who is the plaintiff in that case. Her real name was Norma McCorvey, but they call her Jane Roe in the case. And she was a woman who, like, her, her name and her identity got used to fight that case. And then in later years, the right wing anti abortion Christians kind of took her and paid her to say that she was pro-life. Yeah. It's a fascinating story. She's also like an oh old lesbian and it's it like they made her deny her queerness. I mean, it is the wildest thing. I th- think it's called I am Jane Roe or I something like that. I think that's the name of the documentary. We'll make sure we find the and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, cause... it's so good and it really AKA teaches AKA Jane Roe. Yes. Yep, that's it. Okay. And it teaches you kind of some history about how how the right-wing evangelicals even decided that abortion was going to be their pet issue because it wasn't always. That's something I feel like not a lot of folks know is that they didn't decide to make abortion a big deal until the late 1970s. And the reason they did it then is because they needed to mobilize their base to gain political power because they didn't want to lose taxes exempt status for discriminating against black people. Um, they didn't want to desegregate their facilities and their schools and their private schools and all that. So they were like, we need voting power in our, in our um, community. And they decided that one of the issues that would rile people up was abortion. And that is when it started the late 1970s. Um, before that, even the Catholics didn't define life as beginning at conception. Right. So there's a lot of interesting history around, like, the anti-abortion movement, the anti-choice movement. Um, I have a friend who's a clinic escort in Michigan, and last week she had to deal with a white man with an assault can, rifle. Can, Jesus. Who showed up to protest. I and the cops ask didn't make if, him go away. Yeah, the, that's what... explain clinic escort real quick? Because I don't know if all of our listeners oh, yeah. will be familiar with the concept. Um, um, yeah. So at 
at clinics where protest activity is a problem. It's not every clinic. Um, the ones that I worked at, we never had a lot of active protest. Um, but in some places, there are people that will do what they call sidewalk counseling. So if you get out of your car and you're clearly going in there to have a procedure and your partner's walking with you, they'll yell shit like, oh, don't kill your baby, we'll help you. And then they'll say to the man, like, be a man, don't you want to play ball with your son someday? Are you really going to let her kill your baby? And they just, like, harass and harass the people going to have abortions. Clinic escorts will swoop you in to their loving embrace and... <laughs> bring you into the clinic and shield you from all that bullshit. So it is like a heroic, selfless job. I love people that do clinic escorting. They it's wear, so important. They wear cute little orange vests. Yeah, they wear vests. You know when you get there yeah. that they are, they are there for you. They will tell those protesters to fuck right off. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's what a clinic escort does. They're angels. Yeah, absolutely. Hearing some of my friends' stories about it, it is truly insane to hear like the things because again it is you're not always going to a Planned Parenthood clinic or Mm -hmm. for an abortion like yeah it's just not what you're always going and even if it is it's on your business but like they there are so many other things that are provided that are just community health services yeah like breast exams and pap smears and Mm -hmm well visits all that stuff i mean yeah yeah an sti screening exactly for people of all genders even Mm -hmm. some planned parenthoods even do like gender affirming hormone therapy i'm sure protesters wouldn't like that either but yeah (laughs) it's and it's just it's wild oh i feel so bad for your friend who had to deal with yeah that's because yeah. that's I mean yeah. this is a guy that's a regular protester they know him he carries one of those ridiculous signs um, mm-hmm. it's like this big ass sign with a massive list of different oh, sinners God. on it and I need to read you the sign um, there are people that show up at like pride celebrations with signs like this yeah and you see so them and, and at the AVN award show do they? <laughs> yeah <laughs> are you special? I didn't know yeah, yeah I had some uh <laughs> I was actually looking at my Snapchats from, like, the past year, like, that, like, on this day thing, Uh and uh, I was scrolling back, and I found the Snapchat I took of when I was waiting in line for the AVN Awards show, and there's uh, evangelical protesters outside of the Hard Rock Hotel. That's just so funny to me, because it's, I mean, at Pride, it's, like, what they actually tell people who are going into, like, a pride celebration is like really don't fuck with these people not just because they're awful but -hmm. because they're trying to get a rise out of you so that you can be a headline Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. at avn it's like your job like Mm -hmm. why are you gonna like it there's (laughs) there's no benefit to Um, it i have so much to say about christians and porn but let me read you this sign Let's get there yeah we can that can be the last thing we talk about yes so this sign says repent gossipers sports nuts idol worshipers haters weed smokers immodesty liars sex freaks porn watchers lgbtq thief gambler lukewarm christians psychics mediums drunks blasphemy vanity rape and murder Okay, I'm literally God. all I'm of so those many except so, for I'm so lukewarm Christian, Christian and rape, rape and, and murder. murder. That's, those are the yeah, only three I'm I know. not. Actually, that's the thing that really pisses me off the most is that, like, 
I'm a queer lady and I'm getting raped in. I'm getting I'm getting roped in, roped oh, in no. with rapist and murderer. Right. Or like yeah. what did the sports nut do? Come on, man. <laughs> I guess I guess it's like a form smokers. It's a form of false idols. Yeah, it's a form of false adultery. Is sports if you're if you're like Wayne Gretzky is your that's that's my sports knowledge. I'm like Wayne Gretzky and Cal Ripken. Number one, you're not a sports nut. Clearly, (laughs) yeah. Thank goodness you're going going to to hell. (laughs) I'm going to heaven because I'm not a sports nut. Good God. I mean. mm. Maybe I shouldn't be saying good. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm Jewish, and I and I say and I say sweet Jesus all the time. So like, whatever. <laughs> sweet, sweet Jesus. So Jesus. so yeah. Let's let's talk about this Christianity and porn. Oh. So <laughs> I am still 100% planning on doing a porn 101 webinar for my audience and yes. having you be my co-teacher. I'm so excited. Um, Because, I mean, there's so much to say about it. A lot of the clients I work with were definitely raised with porn is 100% horrible bad. There are campaigns that say porn kills love. Mormons love to hate porn, but Mormons also have some of the highest usership of porn because, like, you see the statistics coming out of Utah. Um, So I get clients who have, who are really trying to undo some of this programmed learning, but they still if they get rid of the idea that all porn is terrible and that porn is like, you know, devaluing sex, they often still think that you don't do porn unless you were like a desperate, abused, traumatized person and that all women that do porn needed to be rescued. Mm -hmm. So that's like the other side of the coin. It's like, like they want to save you and minister to you, even if they're coming from like a feminist perspective now, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, I just, you know, why is she doing this? She's letting people take advantage of her body. So that's, like, another angle. Like, Christians, they do the same thing with, like, sex work in general. They think that all sex workers are being trafficked and coerced and they must be saved. And, like, we know that's not the case. And I can't wait to do a webinar where we, like, teach people about what it's really like in the industry. Um, But, so... A lot of people will ask me, like, well, isn't porn addiction real? And doesn't it, like, really ruin relationships? And what what studies have shown... Oh, that's one thing is that um, people will say, well, porn rewires your brain. Studies show that it rewires your brain. That has been disproven. Um, there's... I'm, I'm going to interrupt really quick because I want to listen very hard to what you're saying. Because what you just said... Um, essentially is a verbatim quote of something my mom actually said to me when I told her I was returning to working in porn. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I have struggled with how to give my mom the information that comes from like a trustworthy source that she will actually believe. Cause she actually is one of the Americans that still believes in science. So I'm yeah. like, how do I provide her something that is like reliable information where she can see that it's not just the misinformation that's like, basically just anti-porn, super evangelical propaganda. I can actually (laughs) send you some articles for her to read written by actual psychologists after after this is done. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let me make a note of that. perfect. Um, So the studies that have come out around, like, men and sort of, like, chronic or maybe addictive porn use show that the real link is between shame and porn, and when you destigmatize using porn, their desire to use it goes down. 
So shame is the problem. Like, and that is really hard for a lot of people to grasp because they've been told, like, you know, it, it activates the same thing in your brain that cocaine does, but so does hugging your cat. Like just because something activates a reward part of your brain doesn't mean that it is like the cocaine or heroin. Like it's, it's, there's a lot of things that activate that, that fun part of our brain. Someone get these people the Brene Brown TED Talk. I know. I know. The the Brene Brown classic TED Talk about shame. It's so good. It's so good. I would recommend. I mean, I I I tell my clients. I've watched the ContraPoints video on shame, which references Brene Brown, but I haven't actually watched the Brene Brown TED Talk. You should totally listen to it. It's It's a classic. It really can. Like, I've had, like, watching that legitimately changed my life. Like I tell my clients they, to watch it. And even if it's just, even if it's just like, I just think like, what would Brene Brown say about this shame? If I like get into, cause like I have clinical depression and anxiety and like, it's so easy to spiral out in a thought cycle in both those things. And shame is just, it's then an even bigger thing. So yeah. just, yeah. It's so a lot good. of times shame fuels the need to keep like using or looking at porn like people Mm -hmm. are driven by they feel so bad about it and it like keeps them in the cycle but if you like remove shame and teach the men in you know this study that like yeah looking at porn is actually like fine it's not the big of a deal then like their desire to look at it decreases it kind of reminds me of when we talk about um people that have like problematic food behavior and they're like very entrenched in diet culture Mm. and they feel like they need to binge on things. If they make those foods allowable and not seen as forbidden, then they're less likely to binge on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're on like a 1200 calorie a day diet and you're not letting yourself eat carbs, you're going to fucking eat carbs and you're going to stick your entire face in a loaf (sighs) of bread. Like an intuitive eating versus... Uh, yes. dieting or restrictive, which it can easily kind of morph into like a disordered eating. Yep. So God, if we're like, porn is terrible, porn is terrible, porn is terrible, don't look at it, don't look at it, don't look at it, they're going to be like, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> like, real quick. <laughs> um, for anyone who can't see me, I just fake jerked off to my phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was great. <laughs> so if you tell them like, yeah, like, Porn's not that bad. It's not going to harm you. Their desire to look at it really goes down. That's amazing. So you're, Ugh. so you as a sex educator, you're never like your homework, or I mean, maybe you are, your homework is to go watch a porn video and try not to cry tears well, about it. I don't, one I don't of the know. Things, I, um, I do give people homework um, when they're working with me in the Purity Culture Dropout Program. And the first thing I usually get them to do is read articles about how porn can be feminist, how porn can be ethically created, how porn mm-hmm. can be a positive experience for the people making it. Mm-hmm. And then that gets them to be like, oh, okay, I never thought of that before. Mm-hmm. Um I don't ever tell people to look at stuff that they're not ready for, but I do start sending them links. And I'm like, when you feel like you are ready, here's a link to um, one of the sites I send them is called Make Love Not Porn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's just like people uploading their own videos. Like It's real. like a clips for sale mm-hmm. site or like a many vids for um, 
as far as I've seen on me, it's it's like real people, real yeah. couples. Like it's, just the average person yeah. that likes to be, I guess, a exhibitionist. You could like upload a clip of you and your husband or something. Yeah. And so that's what I start them out with. And yeah, I mean, a lot of times I also get clients who are already really into porn, but feel bad about it. And mm. we do a lot of talking about how, you know, you know what? I get a lot of those too. <laughs> God, you must have, you must get asked to do so much emotional labor. For oh them. yeah. It's, that's just the, that's They're probably half like, of sex Siri, work. Is... Tell me that it's not bad that I love your butt. <laughs> yeah. So what's funny when I get a message like that from a paying customer, like someone who subscribes to my Snapchat or my OnlyFans or some paid format. Cause again, I don't, I, it surprises me how many people think I check my DMs on Instagram <laughs> when I have, at this point, about 480,000 followers on Instagram. I don't check my DMs. Like, the only people who can message me on there are people I know in real life. Like mm-hmm. you, Erica. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I have it filtered to everyone else. So, like, I don't see them. Um, I would never get any sleep if I actually looked at that stuff. But, right. any, like, so people who actually message me on, like the paid platforms, I can never tell, like, if someone is legitimately confessing or, like, asking for some form of counseling or me to do their their emotional labor because they're so troubled by their own porn consumption, or if it's actually that they're, and this might be, it, it might be, like, does it matter, but the, I really get a feeling that sometimes it's, like, almost a fetish that they want me to pretend I'm disgusted yeah. by it yeah. and thereby like does that make sense I'm it trying makes to have so much sense what I'm saying. and like, I feel like there's there's probably a mixture of both there are probably <laughs> people that are genuinely like oh I feel bad let me let me rely on this woman to help me feel less bad and then there are gonna be those guys that want you to be like you're a dirty little bastard yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? exactly <laughs> just like that I'm like mm. <laughs> yeah they're yeah. trying to like get some free work from you oh yeah <laughs> it's it's there's a lot of people who will try to like uh con their way into like sexting for free with a sex worker i actually find it hilarious the lengths of creativity that some of these people will go to um but i I see through all of it i'm a professional i get some (laughs) of it to a much lesser degree oh i can't yeah i'm sure like i get dms they're always like i'm like this is so clearly a request for sex work disguised as a sex ed question like Mm -hmm. they'll just be like is it terrible that I like to watch my wife fuck other dudes? And I'm like, delete. Like, you just want me to be like, tell me about it. And I'm like, there's there's chat girls for this. There's probably yeah. still phone sex. Like, you can just... you can Believe it or not, there is still phone sex. Yeah. There's I know, right. so many Some other things. <laughs> I just Rachel? get head up. I just, I just get head up for, like, money scams, which I find... Very funny. Like you the know. beautiful email you read to me in our in our <laughs> test recording before that, we started this. Well, is it like someone pretending to be uh, a prince that died? Literally, oh, yeah. it's pretty <laughs> much. No, it's it's that her father, uh, whose whose name in this was. Oh my god, it's so bad. Um, it was like her, warlord. Oh Ibrahim yeah, yeah. Or it's something a, the late chief sergeant warlord Ibrahim Kulabi, aka General <laughs> Ib. 
What the fuck? Whose name is that? I don't, I mean, except so here's the thing because can you write a fanfic and make that the main character's name Rachel? <laughs> oh well, my god! I work like a fanfic I'm, based on an email <laughs> because I work in like the banking and I see this a lot. I like and I see people who I sort of when I'm like really bored, like I can't sleep at night, and I just sort of like talk to these people. And at one point. <laughs> One person was like, yeah, um, I gotta do this. And I basically, I try to see if I can get them to send me money. I never do because, like, <laughs> it's it's always that they've scammed someone else and they're just telling them to send money to me because I them, like, their accountant or something. But I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I have to um, ask my husband first. I have to get permission from my husband. And then... <laughs> Uh, and then I just kept on saying, like, my husband just doesn't think this is real. Or, I've fallen oh for this God. before. Um, so, William responded, you con, ask your husband. <laughs> like, uh, Y-U-K-O-N? No, like, you <laughs> no, like, Y-O-U, and then con. And then oh. he actually just, like, posted, like, as if... He was like he had a handler who was telling him how to respond, and he posted their chat, and then he tried to explain oh binary God. options training. What they they always ask to use WhatsApp. It's always don't just don't. And he tried oh to Instagram God. call me today, and then I remembered that I had I had forgotten to block and report him. Oh my God! <laughs> Jeez, that's good. Instagram calling is the worst. <laughs> So that's, uh, I just get financial scam inquiries. I don't get people at, at like sugar, oh, sugar babying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I know it's, I know it's a real thing that people do, but if someone mm-hmm. just hits you up on Instagram, it's not real. No, it's, it's always no. this guy that's like, I want to reward you handsomely. No, you don't, bro. No, well, <laughs> yeah. And even people who's like sex workers, whose main game is sugar babying would tell you that most most men who profess to be sugar daddies are also faking it. Like, it, there's a large amount of people out there who want to pretend that they are extremely wealthy sugar daddies, and that's the fetish, is specifically the fantasy of being that, but Ugh. they're not that. Yeah, makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> so what is sort of last thoughts that you would like to leave us with, Erica? We just all need to relax about the topic of sex and sexuality and give kids real information about it, learn Mm -hmm. what our bodies do, learn more about um, relationships and consent, and just not be so ashamed of being a human with desire and living in a body and wanting to have sex. It's all fucking normal. It's how we were made, like, it is our human desire to reproduce, it's how we continue as a species. Don't act so scandalized. Amen. That's perfect. <laughs> you know, I, I just thought, I did have one more thought, or, or question, rather, oh. for you, Erica. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's fine, because I, I just it just occurred to me now, because it was based on a Instagram DM exchange we had, which was a while back, so my brain had to dig a little bit for it, but, um, so... How how often does because you you already mentioned that you sometimes send people to make love not porn as like mm-hmm. a source of of like authentically created you know ethical porn, um, what what's your opinion or just like your thoughts take this in any direction you want on 
porn porn and sex ed, like the overlap with those things, because that's a huge thing. When, when I have conversations with folks who are, have like some sort of chip on their shoulder about porn, a lot of the time it's coming from a place of like, well, this is how kids are learning these days and it shouldn't mm-hmm. be that way. And I'm like, yes, I agree. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but and, from and your perspective, it, I'm curious. And why I, is it that the, that, uh, the girl next door is wrong about it. The movie. Mm. The I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. <laughs> I know what it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, so we know that kids are going to come across their first pornographic content by age 11. And my answer to that is that parents just need to be prepared to have that kind of conversation with them and need to get out ahead of it. Uh, there's a really fantastic Instagram account called Sex Positive Families, and one of the things they talk about all the time is having the conversation about porn with your kids. And they advise you to just not pretend it's not happening, but say to your kids, like, hey, if you ever see X, Y, and Z, I want you to come talk to me about it, and I'll answer any questions you have. It's not for kids. You might see adults doing things that are, like, weird or scary to you, Um I will explain like what's going on and that that material isn't for you. Um, so like, yes, there are young people that very unfortunately rely on like porn only for their sex education. I don't think that porn is going to inherently harm a child who stumbles across it. But I think that kid needs an adult to have like realistic conversations with them about sex. Mm-hmm. So they can say to them, like, not all sex is like it looks in the movies and not everyone's body is like it looks in those movies and not everyone is going to respond sexually the way that it looks in a movie. Like you got to teach kids that, you know, real life is not the same as something that's created expressly in a mm-hmm. studio for people's enjoyment. And the same goes teach for kids any and kind adults. Of movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh for real. goodness. I could, I could, I would love to talk to you just for like another hour about like, <laughs> media <laughs> literacy yeah. because I yeah. think that's such a huge thing, especially right now when a lot of what people are doing is just consuming media. Um, but Because yeah. I know you talked about anal sex on your last episode, so mm-hmm. it's a fair game topic. One of the things <laughs> I always say to people when it comes to sex ed is like, the way anal happens in porn is not the way it happens in real life. Like the people that ding, star ding, in ding. scenes, like they warm up for that. They're ready They've, like, done some butt stretching. They're lubed up. They've maybe sometimes done a little enema. Like, real life isn't a movie, so it's not going to just go right in. (laughs) It's not, you can't just take a big thing and put it in a little butthole as easily as it looks in a movie. Let's talk about what you can do instead. And that's also, like, just in, I mean, if you're lucky and there's, like, I don't know, mainstream culture that actually shows a gay love scene... It's the, or like a man on oh, man like love scene. Back mountain, penis you mean? And, yeah, or like penis on penis love scene, I guess. It's, it always, it just magically, they're already fucking. Yeah, it just goes right in. Yeah. And that's, you know, God. we I don't think that porn is not the problem. Porn is something that requires some literacy around if, if you're young, and honestly, if you're not young. Yeah. In a lot of cases. I, I mean, I, honestly, I'm I'm a hello. I'm gonna raise my hand real quick. I am a actual certified porn star who only <laughs> learned the extent to which people who do like intense, large item anal play the extent to which they are enemying their bodies recently, oh and it's from a, a fellow porn performer. Um, 
think it was Michael Vegas posted. It was like, a, it looked like one of those e-how like illustrated yeah. guides, but it was like how to clean your butt. And it was essentially like Michael Vegas posted it because he is known for doing crazy anal scenes, like pegging stuff. And like mm-hmm. he can, I worked with him. I put, I fisted his ass and my, yeah. and it went, my elbow, like my entire forearm up to my elbow was yeah. inside his body. So we're talking intense stuff here. So he probably doesn't eat for a long time, It right? is, like, like basically fasting. not eating for a while before you're seen, and you're doing... You're not doing an enema like what I would do in my personal life before anal, which is, like, a quick flush. That little flush. bulb syringe, yeah. Yeah, it's like a bulb syringe, a quick... It's like a flush of, like, the, the rectum, like, the immediate area there, right? That's the size of, like, a penis or, like, a dildo or a butt plug or something that's just going to be in that space... But for something like fisting or these giant things, like Michael Vegas posted in in this guide, he's you're flushing out your entire intestinal tract. Wow. Like this is like two hours of flushing, oh flushing, goodness. flushing, flushing, flushing. Like it's also really, really hard on your body if you do it wrong. Oh, yeah. Like you have to be really careful. Like so, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and like all that to say. We don't have um, anal in real life yeah. quite as easily as people that have prepped for days. Yeah. yeah, even even real life anal, like, you know, people would think that I'm like, you know, boop, just ready to go. Like, no, no. And my boyfriend knows this. If we think that we're going to be doing butt stuff one night, um, I will tell him like, hey, you know, what? I feel like I'm going to be good with butt stuff tonight. But then we also talk about it again about an hour before we even want to do butt yeah, stuff because yeah. I need to make sure my body is still You just ready. know. I totally agree. I'll be yeah. like, you know what? I don't think that's I don't really want to do that tonight. Yeah. Don't feel safe. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell with, with the way my body is, you know. So mm. it's, yeah. And, and that's, those are things that you know, even for me is like a criticism that I have of porn because all of that is completely hidden. Mm. from Mm -hmm. as far as like mainstream stuff you know with being a content creator that's one of the cool things is like when we are creating our own stuff we can choose how much we share of those details so totally i love it of course as a sex educator i'm like tell me everything even like a huge thing that i'm like campaigning for campaigning for i mean just in the sense (laughs) that like i do it in my own content is Showing the fucking lube. Show the bottle of lube. Like, where did it become a thing in porn mm-hmm. that it's like, hide the lube? No. <laughs> you, like, even just fingering, you could you could use some lube. It'll oh be God. fine. The wetter, the I'm better. I'm such a proponent of, like, destigmatizing lube, normalizing lube. Um, people act like they get so weird. Like, oh, if I need this, it means... No, no it doesn't mean anything. Like, lube makes things better. Just yeah. hands down. Mm-hmm. You Yes, it does. Love some good... Love lube. <laughs> Can't recommend it enough. Adrienne, <laughs> what's your favorite lube? Uh, I will... I'll show it to you, actually. Let me... I'm just gonna step three feet mm-hmm. away and grab it real quick. I knew you were gonna ask this, so I was looking <laughs> in this direction, getting ready for it. This is, there's a, there's a couple different brands that I buy, but I get them all from the same website. Um, so I am a a complete total convert to CBD lube. Oh yeah. I haven't tried that yet. This is one, it's, the brand is called Bella, but it's a CBD infused water-based lube and they also make a silicone one and they also make a hybrid one. But I get this and there's another brand I use that's 
essentially the same formula that's just branded to appeal more to masculine people. Interesting. Called knob polish. But <laughs> I, I actually got both, and the water-based ones, I think, are literally the same thing. Like, they okay. look, feel identical. Like, the formula, even the ingredients are the same. Um, but I get them from cbdcaring.com. Cool. I love them. Very I cool. literally, I just ordered three, like, mega bottles yesterday. <laughs> I usually buy um, Slick I should honestly get them to like sponsor the podcast because yeah. I love this brand so much. <laughs> so Slickwood is great. I love yeah, Slickwood. Yeah, I use Slickwood. Um, like if I'm going to buy my own, that's usually what I buy. I buy just... Astroglide, but it's the water-based, not the mm-hmm. silicone-based because not a fan of anal. <laughs> Which is funny because Astroglide's actually great for ass. I, I actually no, for I years thought yeah. it was called Astroglide because yeah, no. like <laughs> my friend, my friend who is into anal, not you, it's a, you know, a normie, uh, was like, "Ugh, I love Astroglide silicone pasted." So I good love that for you call non porn stars civilians, though. That's funny. <laughs> so your civilian anal yeah, friend, one of my civilian <laughs> anal friends. Who has a butt plug for every day of the week, basically. <laughs> she I think she, maybe Do maybe I know this episode you should say be it called on. civilian anal friend. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> civilian I'm gonna text her and be like, hey, I knew we're gonna name this podcast this she's gonna be like, What the fuck? Oh my god. Perfect. Mm. <laughs> Love it. Uh, well, this Man. has been great. Yeah. I mean, I could literally sit here and talk for like another hour. It would be easy. Honestly. It would be so easy. Um, thank you so much for your time. Yes, thank yeah. you so much. Again, I I would love to have you back on to talk about media Anytime. and about lube or yeah, I don't know whatever. I mean, I'm sure you could think of fifty billion one. things. Yeah, I'm well, gonna email. The- um, I'll email you both the like Sex Ed 101 webinar I just did if you want to yeah. like watch it because yes. I mean you both oh, know fantastic. plenty about sex but like I still think it's interesting because it will give you a view of what comprehensive sex ed should actually look like. That's fantastic! I, I would love would to see that. Love that. Yeah, <laughs> I will send it to Yay. both of you. Awesome. Um, so your Erica, your Instagram once more is Erica Smith dot sex sex dot ed. Got it. E R I C A. Yeah, all of our listeners should follow Erica, and honestly, like consider hitting Erica up for some sex ed if you want to do like a one-on-one education because it's great. I actually recommended one of my friends to you the other day because I got a text from a personal friend who was like, "Hey, like she's asking me questions about stuff, and she wasn't asking me to do the education, but she was asking me for resources, you know, and I was like, oh, you should definitely check out this person I know who does sex ed because, you know, it's, I just think it's great. Like, it's fantastic. I kind of think maybe my profession is recession proof too, because people are always going to be fucking. (laughs) (laughs) Always. Or they're always always going to want to know about jerking and fucking. It's so true. It's just part of our humanity, which is what I try to remind people of all the time. It's just part of being human. People are always going to be jerking and fucking. Would be a great episode (laughs) title, but it might be too long. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Let's let's one. You can find us on Instagram at After Adult, um, on Twitter at After Adult Pod, and our website is afteradult.com. The email addresses 
that you can email us at if you want to get in contact with us or ask a question are therealrachel at protonmail.com and therealsiri at protonmail.com. And if you want to call us and leave us a message that we can listen to and just know, a message. Yeah, just a message. For the record. That we People can... keep trying to actually call, and I'm like, yeah, no, no, this no, is no. straight to voicemail, boo. This is it's... a Google voice that goes straight to voicemail. You are not going to sex with me. It's uh, a voicemail. I'm not going to get, they think they're going to sneak in a little phone sex. No, they are not. <laughs> nope, you're not. You're just going to leave us a message, and, you know, if you have a question, we'll answer it. Uh, the number is 818-457-6535. Again, that's 818-457-6535. Thank you, Erica Smith. Thank you for both. educating us today. Yes. I feel so much more knowledgeable about sex. <laughs> Me too. So thanks. Have a great night. Thank you all. Thank you. She's doing porn again. This girl's a new creation, even after two kids. She'll change your whole damn life. You just watch one of the vids. Far from born again. She's doing porn again.